Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm producer Jason Dawes, and here with me are our hosts, Dr. Russ McCullough and Dr. Justin Clark. All right. Well, welcome back. This is our first recording in the new year, and so I thought it would be kind of fun to uh, talk about New Year's resolutions and um, see what the uh, kind of, if people use that as part of their faith or part of their just humanity um, obviously, I think people of all faiths and no faith participate in this little exercise of ours. I say ours, thinking mostly uh, Americans, but I'm not sure if that's true globally. And I, either of you two know if I, I is a resolution thing kind of an American thing, or any thoughts on that? I think Canadian New Year happens in October. Oh yeah, that's true. There is, and like the Chinese New Year is at a different time of year as well. Correct. Yeah, I was joking about the Canadian one, though. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You might, yeah, without you being here for me to see you physically with some of your expressions, you might have to, you might have to let us know uh, when that was a joke. <laughs> so, yeah, I, um, I'm not a big New Year's resolution person. A little part of me thinks if I need to do something – then maybe I should just do it whether it's June or July or August or whenever it is. So I've tended not to be it. I, I've certainly done them before. Um, I failed at them before. So what, what's your guys' feelings on New Year's resolutions in general? I have previously been, I think, kind of like what you were saying, where like if I need to make a change, I'll just make a change or whatever. But this year I've kind of found myself thinking about it more just because a bunch of big things happened to me this year. So it's a good <laughs> time to, you know, take stock of what happened during the year and think, all right, going forward, how would I want to change as a person or something uh, for the next year? So this year I actually do have some vague resolutions, but <laughs> uh, probably for the first time in a while. So okay. these are my thoughts. Yeah. And so a vague resolution, I wonder how that's going to work out for you. If we, if we go to, some of our business school teachings on goal setting and whatnot, a vague resolution sounds like a vague goal, which usually doesn't get completed, but maybe, maybe it's a baby step. What, what is it? The, Jason, you might be able to help me out with some of your MBA stuff, the SMART goals for management. Uh, what is it? SMART is goals need to be specific, uh, measurable, attainable maybe is the A uh r and t stand for something else too so anyway. relevant and time-based relevant and time-based thanks for the quick google search <laughs> to bail me out that's not something we usually generally hit in our principles of economics classes so i i, I think i get a pass on that but <clears throat> nonetheless uh vague goals are not uh, at least uh, best business practices so so jason what about you uh, yeah, I typically don't do New Year's resolutions, but I do find myself, especially this year, like thinking that the New Year is a good time to pick up things that I lost halfway through the year. So maybe things got a little busy at the end of the year, especially with the holidays, and then you start dropping things like 
organization and working out and stuff that I don't know I kind of hope to pick up again at the new year so not really resolutions but more getting back into practice of things yeah I think the the reflection is always good and it's certainly different than a resolution I think we all can't help but to do a little reflection and like Justin, I can see with your changes over the year uh, that might lead to a resolution of some sort, whether it be vague or specific in changes. So to kind of bring a faith component into this, I guess one of my problems with it as a, as a card-carrying LCMS Lutheran is I, I think of it as a focus on yourself to some degree a little bit of a me, me, how can I make myself better? And then I think some other faiths, uh, faith traditions, even within Christianity, <clears throat> might be more of a sacrificial thing of doing this for God, or it's on my to-do list of things. And as I've said in previous podcasts, I'm not much on treating the Bible as a, as a to-do book, uh, rather than a I'm not so hot of a human being book and uh, there's plenty of opportunities for you in your life to uh, look to Christ for the grace, uh, the gift of grace that's freely given. And so I kind of put resolution stuff and other things there. I'm not saying they're bad or I'm certainly not taking a, a stance that it can't be part of, of, of your faith life. Certainly in, in some traditions more so than others, um, giving up things for Lent, for instance, I was, uh, I haven't been one, uh, some people in the Lutheran faith do give up some things for Lent, but I just, uh, hasn't been one of my, uh, traditions and fasting would be maybe another thing of, of just kind of doing these personal things. And I guess my, my thought is God doesn't need anything from me. He's got everything already. He needs me, right? Um, as, uh, whatever actions I do, <clears throat> my most uh, righteous deeds are filthy rags to God. And so to me, it takes the pressure off. I can just do what uh, what I think would be a fun thing to do, maybe. Uh, again, depending on your relationship with God, hopefully that is filled with uh, direction that is more in line with your calling and, and what you're supposed to be doing to be a, a good steward of of God's resources here and to hopefully be a good example for others to want to uh, join the, join the Christian crew, I guess. So I don't know. You guys got any thoughts on that on, on faith related stuff? I think a big part of religion and the positive things it can do for people has to do with ritual. So I'm not as quick to dismiss those things like fasting or whatever, even though I'm not, you know, I don't fast, but, I think there is a purpose to rituals, even if you don't totally understand what it is supposed to be doing, that there's something uh, to be said just for the fact that everybody in a certain group or faith or whatever is doing the same thing at the same time. And it uh, is something that is at least a little bit personally costly for somebody to do. Yeah, I could see the community building that it does. Mm-hmm from a personal level that even if uh, you start to feel some sort of despair that the ritual you do is some glue for you being a part of the community, a faith community, or I guess it could be other 
communities there that, that could be somewhat secular as well, but certainly maybe part of why the, the church has developed those rituals over time. Yeah, it's kind of a way to get people, uh, make sure everybody has a little bit of skin in the game. Well, and it's certainly from a societal standpoint too, those faiths that have good rituals or can maybe lead to, uh, I don't know, less crime or whatever. There's positive externalities that might spill over to other people, whether they're of faith or not, from the habits and rituals that have been formed over time in the faith traditions. Yeah, yeah certainly. How would you, um, from your philosophical brain, tell me a little bit about some of the history on, on habits and uh, that get, gets into the virtues and stuff like that? Wasn't I'm thinking maybe... Hume or somebody or Kant or who uh, like habit forming. I just thought, you know, practicing that even Aquinas, maybe, I don't know. I, I just, any thoughts there on, on that? that I you mean, I'm, I'm no expert on Aquinas, but I know he had something about whether virtues are habits. And I think part of his analysis was something like, that they couldn't be habits because habits are things that you do involuntarily. Oh. Which, I mean, that's fine if you want to define habit that way, but most people, I don't think, define habit as something that you do involuntarily. Right, yeah, I wouldn't have thought that. Uh, yeah. So. Although, it, although it does kind of resonate with me, too. That's what makes it a habit is that you're almost at a subconscious level uh, doing it without putting much thought into it. So there's a piece of that that resonates with me. Yeah, I mean, making something a habit is, it's an attempt to make it the case that you don't have to, like, start from zero every time in order to get yourself to do it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. but it's it's not at the same level as, you know, sleepwalking, so. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in the um, habit of smoking, I guess, there's other external things of addiction that could play into it as well mm -hmm. that, that make it part of your habit that isn't, that is more involuntary, I guess, if you're hooked. Yeah. So, I mean, I have habits that I do that I think, you know, I've worked to make them habits like, you know, working out or going swimming and I yeah. still have to make myself do it and I get a little angry if I can't do it that day, but it's not like, you know, it's complete autopilot. Yeah. Go ahead, Jason. Oh, so I was just going to add on the previous comment that you guys were making about why people do rituals and stuff. And I'm just going to use the fasting example as well. While I have never done it, I did have a couple of friends in college who did. And I thought it was more of like a way for them to, find a personal connection with God. So they spend that time, you know, praying and using that time for other things. Uh, so I was just going to pose that as another reason why people might do these rituals as well, other than the fact that it's commonplace in a lot of religions. Yeah. Well, and the connection with God thing, I think, is one place where different faith traditions do vary. In the Lutheran tradition, the gifts of God are external to you. You don't have to have a personal experience 
because uh, the sacraments come to you externally from your baptism and you go to church on Sunday and the pastor tells you you're forgiven. You don't have to have a sense of uh, oneness with God or a knowledge. Um, those gifts are freely given to you. Uh, and that is a fundamental difference even among Christian traditions where some faith traditions are more based on some sort of personal revelation or something, you know, something you know, some sort of personal knowledge and other traditions uh, don't, don't look at it that way. And so I think that does change your perception of some of these personal things. I consider there to be agreeing with some of the other uh, Lutheran theologians that there's a wide gap between God and man right? So the, there's a vast cavern here. And so to think that you as a human being can do something to get closer to God misses the boat. You have kind of a higher view of humanity that we can do some things, maybe through fasting, maybe through resolutions, maybe through new habits of being a good little person down here, that that can close the gap with God. And so I don't really believe that that's the case according to, to scripture. And I'm sure there'd be some other people much better in theology than me to, to explain, but I've just heard it explained this way. Other faith traditions have a kind of a lower view of God. Like we can, we can kind of, oh, God is here and that can lower the gap for, so maybe some things can be done here on what that gap is. But if the gap is vast and you are pathetic and there's nothing you can do but have this, this faith, that kind of forms my worldview and some of my opinions on, on things. And so I tend to put a little less in the individual experiences than maybe where some other places go. So, well, I think that looks like a good spot for our first break, our first and only break, I should say, <laughs> the first half. So um, when we come back from break, I want to look at the experience of failing and that's, that impact on resolutions like uh, the gym being packed in January. So we'll pick it up from there and be back in 30 seconds. The Gortney Institute's vision, by 2030, the Gortney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economics understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. The Institute will be a nationally recognized source for knowledge and contributions to student experience, society's understanding of private and public solutions to poverty, and the overlap of markets, governance, and faith. Young audiences will look to the Institute for challenging and engaging education on faith and economics. Please visit our website at 123povertysex.org. There you will find our events, blog, and our swag shop. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 123povertysex or on Facebook at Gortney Institute for updates on our activities and research. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or recurring donation. Please visit donate.123povertysex.org.
Okay, we're back. So, um, continuing on with this resolution business that I'm not super high on, but uh, does it make society a better place? Maybe. I wanted to talk about the experience of failing. I, I just, and maybe this is a weakness in a way. I, I'd like to think I'm pretty strong with committing to things and, and getting things done and being persistent. I think one of the things getting my PhD after years of working double time from 97 to 2003, um, I'm, I'm uh, persistent that way. So I think once I set my mind to it, but I think the you know experience of failing on setting something you want to do and then just not getting there that and if it if it's kind of this open ended thing then eventually i think you're going to kind of gravitate back to whatever it was that you were maybe trying to get away from i mean losing weight and gym memberships uh are one thing uh jason what were you talking about with businesses and in gyms speaking of oh. failing so I was just going to bring up the the fact that this time of year, um, people people do see a lot of growth in businesses such as gyms, people with those very, very common uh, New Year's resolutions like working out, getting in shape. I have a couple of friends who are personal trainers at gyms, and this is like the time of year for their business. Oh, yeah. This is the glory, glory time. Mm -hmm. They probably are putting in long days. I should say as a veteran of the food service industry that between January 1st and Valentine's Day is the worst part of the year because everyone's uh, New Year's resolutions are to lose weight and to spend less money. And so the gym mm. memberships go up, but dining out goes way down. Yeah, yeah, good point. Gym goes up, dining down. So we've got some counter and pro-cyclical uh, behavior here on that that I'm sure savvy business people have learned to take advantage of over time. And I bet the people who do like healthy food diets or um, like Atkins that does the food, I bet they see an increase this time of year too. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure the sales have got to be skyrocketing on uh, for the keto uh, bacon and, and uh, meats. And <laughs> I guess I don't know that much about keto, but maybe there's a downturn in bread, bread and pasta. <laughs> so, yeah, I, and, uh, you know, I think – this time of year, there's always kind of a fresh start for school too. You know, students getting back, whether it's the K through 12 school or uh, we're just getting back to the college here next week on Monday. Uh, my son just started school. So you got kind of these fresh starts and new starts that are, that are going on and a little bit of, a little bit of change. So yeah, um, one of those things, Justin, uh, that I started uh, this January now, my wife kind of came up with it first, and then I heard a, I heard a, I was listening to a local radio show called Dana and Parks here in the Kansas City area, and uh, they brought up a concept called Sober Curious. Have you heard anything like that, Jason, since you're kind of in the younger, younger scenes, somebody being sober curious, especially since it was... <laughs> local Kansas City uh, radio station that brought this up. Have you heard of that? No, I have not heard of okay, this. Okay, well, the concept was apparently maybe started in New York uh, some time ago, but of uh, people just choosing to give up drinking. So there's a Sober October, I think, is was kind of a thing. I don't know. I've, I've heard of that one now, or that was brought up during this this thing too. Uh, my my brother-in-law, he had participated in that. So Sober October was one, and then... <laughs> I think there's some name for January too. So anyway, my, my wife was planning to uh, give up drinking 
that I think is at least somewhat related as with I for uh, doing some weight loss. So uh, Jason convinced me to sign up for a run <laughs> through the cave here at the end of January. And uh, I've been doing pretty good, by the way. I ran over uh, 5K in San Diego when I was there for a conference in the morning, which was awesome. It's a lot easier to run running near an ocean, I found. Uh, some crashing waves and beautiful scenery. Uh, so anyway, I think I'll be prepared for that. But after listening to that Sober Curious, it was kind of brought up like uh, bars, especially pop-up bars, opening up with basically mock teenies. Um, so there's actually no alcohol, people who want to, and it's not because they're necessarily alcoholics or anything, but they were also then, they had callers and other people saying that they just don't drink. They're not, they're not big drinkers. And so they thought it would be kind of fun. They go out to bars and stuff with their friends, but if, what if everybody wasn't drinking at a bar? And so you kind of have that social, cultural, you know, nightclub-y thing going on but there's no alcohol involved. You know, would it be boring? Would it be, you know, would it suck? Would everybody turn in early or would it be a lot of fun? That's the curiosity part. So that's where the sober curious concept came up. So um, after listening to that, I became a little sober curious for myself. And so also related a little bit to dropping some weight. Um, I am going to commit to all of January without any alcohol. So so the Gortney Institute will not be having any big uh, social events. Uh, well, I take that back. So being sober curious, maybe it would be fun. Uh, I can have Justin over and Jason, and I will make you two drinks, but I won't drink. That's the part of being sober curious is like, what would it be like to kind of sit out while you're with people that might be doing it? So it's not meant to be like, hey, I'm doing it, so you need to do it too. So, so that's, that's the concept for me. Well, I guess if you insist that I have to drink, I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll do it for the team. Yes, take them for the team. Take two for the team, actually. Can you need one for me, yeah. too? <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like a resolution that came from uh, that growing people-watching movement where you, you you go to a place, but you're there to mostly just watch other people do things. <laughs> mm, I haven't heard. I mean, I've been a people-watcher my whole life. Uh, mm-hmm. We we were regulars to the Iowa State Fair for just that reason alone for the most part. We went every <laughs> year for 20 years to the Iowa State Fair because it is just a super fun place to people watch. So, But I haven't heard of people watching being a thing. Elaborate on that. Where did you hear that? Or you... Oh, it's just a, a phrase, a term that we've I've known for quite a while that people use, especially when they're going out and doing activities. So like going to a game or going to a bar or something. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. So, Justin, what do you got on the docket here for resolutions? Oh, man, I've got uh, a few vague ones. (laughs) I have a a couple specific ones, but, I mean, the ones that I think are important are the vague ones. Okay. Uh, (laughs) So my vague ones are, I mean, since this year my position changed and I now have, you know, a full-time faculty position and I also stopped working at the bar – um, one of them is I, I want to really focus on putting out some scholarly output and maybe taking some risks in my scholarship. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and def- and start to you know write uh, about the things and that I think are interesting and not just things that you know I think will put a line on my CV. 
Um, right, be publishable. Yeah, so yeah, I was going to say, why don't you explain to the listeners who, most of which probably aren't in academia, what, what, a, what a scholarly risk is. I mean, if you look at like my CV and what I've published in, you know, I have an account of the way predicates function and how they are related to the truth values of sentences. That, that sounds exciting. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, it's probably behind a paywall. So I mean, you probably can even read it if you wanted to. But that's the kind of thing that gets published. You know, something that's very, very narrow and very niche, where there's five other experts in the world, and they certify that you know this makes a dent in the very specific problem that you are trying to address. Right. I like. I had it um, explained. I had it explained to me from a professor that. When you got your PhD, you're like on the very edge of knowledge. And so, yes, we do things that can be awfully obscure and basically meaningless to the average person, but that's because that's our frontier of knowledge. And so to expand the knowledge frontier outward, it needs to be a new contribution. And that new contribution may very well be very narrow and mostly meaningless to the average person. So... That's how yeah, by definition, it has to be extremely specific if the frontier of knowledge is that big. Right, know? right. So, yeah, so, but I think I'd like to do a little bit more writing that's accessible to the popular public. And so writing on philosophical issues that's accessible to the public and then writing about some things that I think are interesting in regular life that aren't being talked about by philosophers. Yeah, that's great. I'm so, certainly right in line with the with the Gortney Institute's mission here to get out to the masses and exactly one of the reasons we, we hired you. So I look forward to that and you can certainly uh we'll have full support in trying to get get your word out there to people with stuff like that. Yeah, so that's my professional one. And then personally, since I have a new son and my wife and I have both kind of stopped working at that restaurant and she's taken on a, a new photography career, but I'm going to be home a lot more. So my other one is just to really focus on being a good dad at home where I'm not going to be working three nights a week from four to midnight. So really right. trying to focus on having those dinners around the table with the entire family. That's awesome. Yeah. That's as, awesome. as much as we can. And so, I mean, those are hard to quantify in both of those, but I think those are, you know, the most important ones. And my very specific resolutions are there's a computer programming book I want to get through called The Structure and Interpretation of Computing or Computer Programs, and then another one on Python because I think that will help me write the articles that I want to write to try to connect some developments in computing to philosophy in particular. Okay. Is this related to your – what's it called again? Urbit? Or, we need to do a podcast on yeah. Still, but is it related to that? It is related to Urbit. Okay, yeah. sweet, sweet. Yeah, well, uh, listeners, you can look forward to another podcast on that. Uh, this is stuff that still blows me away. I don't even understand. That's why we'll just let Justin do his thing and kind of give an introduction to that on a different different podcast. So, so back to my smart goals thing. Um, dinner at the table would be something that could be measurable, quantifiable pretty easily too. Yeah. I'm just thinking like, you know, whatever, make it a goal that – you know, five days out of seven or something like that. You know what I mean? That might yep. put a little more specificity into uh, dinner because I, I think you're absolutely right. I did do that too um, as a dad and 
made it kind of a point because I always had family meals and uh, it just was a time that you get to say nothing if you want to say nothing and just eat, but at least you're together. Um, and then just, you know, random things come up when there's a silence in between bites and, and, and you talk and yeah, and it's fun. One thing maybe you could even try Justin that, that I thought was always cute that we kind of continued on for forever is uh, Carter, my son Carter, when he was five or four, I don't even remember, real young, you know, we'd sit down at the dinner table and, and I'd say, uh, hey, Carter, so what'd you do today? And he'd say, nothing. And, and so we'd, we'd uh, kind of have fun with that, but then it would be like, oh, no, what did you do? Well, and then sometimes he'd get reflective on it. Well, I played with my blocks and... And then what else? And, it, you know, it kind of just induced the, the conversation along. I think that was somewhat uh, habit forming. Getting back to our original thing, we started at the top that Carter has been a good communicator in general uh, with people. And maybe, who knows, maybe to some degree, some of those dinner conversations, you know, help to cultivate that a bit. So that I was, think that's absolutely the case. You know, and my... When I was a kid, we had family dinners every night, too. And I remember some of my best friends who came from families that didn't do that. And they would they would actually say, like, oh, I'm really excited to come over and have dinner at your house because it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. So Sometimes they can be weird, too. Like my brother, Barry, my mom, my dad went catfishing or something, and she prepared it. And she's, she's a great cook, but my brother, in his mind, I think, had something. Anyway, this ended up with Barry puking up his catfish on his dinner plate at the table because he thought it was disgusting. <laughs> so, that was a classic memory that, you know, we, like, he was kind of forced to try it type of thing. Like, okay, you got to try it. Or, uh, so anyway, that was, a, that was a scene at the McCullough dinner table at one point. So. I'll try to avoid that, but yeah. Yeah. So Jason, what do you got for resolution time? Uh, so talking about the run that we're doing at the end of the month, um, my goal is to do more running. I, I did pretty good 2019 working out and everything, but uh, running with health reasons has kind of gone out the window uh, and, I, and I miss it a little bit. So I've actually ran last night, which is exciting. So Last year, I told I told my boyfriend that we could do one run a month, and right. some of those runs did not go very well. So this year, I've got some time goals I'd like to achieve on the runs that we do for this year. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one, too, because that's something that's measurable, again, for goal setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of just saying, I'm going to run more, I'm going to you know do this or hit a pace or whatever i'm i'm not quite prepared to go look beyond this race that we're doing in the cave but uh i i plan to do something because i i do enjoy it um once i'm back in the mood there's nothing like strapping on the number and it is just weird how it changes me in terms of once i've signed up for a race then all of a sudden i find myself getting off the couch and going either to the gym or going outside for the run it's just it's really strange once that time is set and you know like oh i want to be able to run and make it through this race so i better get going so yeah yeah i think setting an actual race is a good good goal for each month yeah and so yeah and just a little quick thing for our listeners um kansas city has some pretty cool limestone caves that russ keeps mentioning 
And uh, so we'll be running at the end of January, but it's going to be like 60 to 70 degrees in those caves. Yeah. So it's going to be a pretty cool race. Right. Now we're, we're unseasonably warm right now, too. Like yeah. today, it's about 60 degrees outside. So but that's unusual for January in Kansas City. <laughs> I think we're normally around 30 or so. So mm-hmm. anyway, all right. Well, that looks like a good place to wrap. So I'd like to Thank you all for listening to the Gortney Institute uh, podcast here, Faith and Economics. And if you like what you hear, please uh, give us one of those five-star ratings on your app, and that'll help uh, get our word out to other listeners. And so on uh, behalf of everyone here, thank you for listening, and be fruitful and multiply. Bye.